welcome to the Coach Out Podcast. In this episode, we're lucky enough to speak to Neil Hull, who possesses over 30 years of coaching experience and comes from a military background in the beginning. He now resides in the USA. It's the final whistle. We start with the final whistle. And if we know where we're going, we can then ladder back down the process. However, when you blow the whistle or you shout, stop, whatever it might be, hey, all right, guys, we're done. And they're like, that's it? We're done? We can't, we've only just got here. That sense and abandonment of time is a measurement of flow. Myself and Neil will explore the benefits and pitfalls of varied coaching methods. Coaching methods such as whole part whole and block coaching, and then also delve into the pros and cons and develop conclusions and potential innovations around what we see fit in terms of coaching in the future. Hi Neil, thanks for joining us on the Coach Out podcast. Um, pleasure to have you on. No spot a little bit in the past. Um, just really briefly before we get into the the idea of today's podcast, uh, just give us a little bit of a rundown in thirty or forty seconds around your career, if that's enough time. Yeah, love to. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. That's really kind of you. Um, well, my basically my career started at the age of sixteen. I uh, left home and joined the army at sixteen. Um, looking for adventure as we all do, I imagine, at that age. And eventually it turned me from being uh, uh, what's called a sapper into an Army Physical Training Corps instructor with the Royal Army Physical Training Corps. And I served with those guys for uh, 14 years. And in that, we are getting people fit to fight. That's our competition. Our competition, sadly, is war, but that's what we are training for. And through that, we found out and we figured that the one of the best ways to do this is through sport and the teaching of sport because that regains that decision-making process and that environment. So I spent a long time in there teaching sports and educating people to teach sports. And then finally, as a career comes to an end, I met a beautiful woman that brought me over to America here. And at that point, I've done all I've ever wanted to do. So what do I do now? And it was a case of, I'm gonna start teaching sport not professionally, but um, outside of, of the military world. And I hit so many benchmarks, so many problems. The, the biggest one, not understanding how people learn in America. And the learning styles of America were extremely difficult and different to those of, uh, those of England, and especially those in the demand of the high performance of the military, where we're dealing with special forces and pretty much elite units generally. And so I decided I've got to go back to university and learn again. So I went back to university and, and started learning again, going through the process of re-educating myself so that I could educate those that I teach. And um, wasn't an easy transition at a later age in life, but it's something that I felt was necessary. I came out of there and uh, we moved down to Texas from Oklahoma. Here I started uh, coaching for a, a local soccer club. Uh, an English guy got hold of me in a uh, a taco restaurant and said, have you ever coached football? And I said, well, I've got my badges, I've got this and all these other areas, but never really actually done it with the youth. And he said, well, give it a go. So I moved into a local coaching club and uh, learned a lot, learned a lot from him, learned a lot from the players, especially. Most of it was me learning. I was trying to teach, but ultimately I was learning. And that progressed and grew until around 2000 when I created the Players Academy of Soccer Skills. I felt there was a need for 
deliberate kind of practice. Didn't really know it was called deliberate at that time. Erickson hadn't done his study or anything like that. And, but I felt there was a need for it. Talking to the players, working with the players. We were focusing so much on tactics or on drills or on whatever it might have been. So creating the academy sort of helped me reach out to provide what I believed we needed. And I worked through those areas, presenting that. Uh, fortunately, uh, taking licenses over here, I was then selected to become uh, a state director for Texas, running the coaching education for soccer in Texas via what was then called the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, now United Soccer Coaches. And so I was their state director, eventually getting onto the National Staff Academy level, uh, teaching throughout the US now, teaching and qualifying uh, coaches throughout the US. So coaching ed has been a big part of it. And then moving forward from there, uh, I'm seeing the high school environment that I'm not really an influence over struggling. And we, we, in America here, we have uh, a game called football, which is nothing like football. But so they put the football coaches in line with the soccer teams because they want to bring as many football coaches into the schools as possible. So they'll often employ them as the soccer coach, but run them as a football coach. And it was kind of a deficit strategy, addition by subtraction. So I thought, how can we support this? Um, my, my thought was get these new coaches that are coming through. If they're a football coach, baseball coach, get them at grassroots level and teach them methodologies and ideas to support all learning and all sports, um, ideally, especially soccer. So I then picked up a position as a lecturer at the University of Texas here in San Antonio. And I've been uh, teaching there as an associate professor for about five, five, six years, sorting out uh, methodologies where we're going to go today, I believe a little bit, coaching leadership um, and coaching theory, those sort of areas. And that's kind of where we are today. No, brilliant, Neil. Like I said, the, we are going to go over, like you mentioned, the one you talk about coaching methods and potentially some benefits and pitfalls of, of certain styles. And um, just, just in your kind of um, summary, what would you define a coaching method as? I think a coaching method ultimately is a way to transfer learning. Uh, I believe on that, the other end of it, possibly even transfer and confirm that learning has taken place. Great question. Never, never thought you, you're always asking people <laughs> to define stuff and then you get put on the spot to define it and you're bringing it through. But I think it's, it's a, a method, a system, a process to transfer and confirm learning. Yeah. And can you give a couple of examples of them, them coaching methods that you've worked with or you've seen others work with? Yeah, I think uh, we have at uh, the Pass Academy, we have our own system called Train It, Test It, Trust It, where we'll, we'll train players through on, on one phase, test them on the next phase, then step back and observe on the third phase. And that Train It, Test It, Trust It methodology is implicitly within itself. So we might be in a Train It phase, but in fact, we're still training and testing and trusting it within that training phase. That's the one we use at our academy. And I found through, through different methods, as I'll talk about in a moment, you tend to find what works for the players that you're teaching the best. And so it might not be a singular method. It will probably be a blend, but you, you'll see yourself in each one of these. And so like other areas we'll teach in the classes, a whole part whole, um, a simple organization method, very much uh, 
a natural rhythm to learning for this method of whole part, whole education, where you'll uh, teach the whole, the whole area. Let's say we're doing passing of a soccer ball. You teach, uh, put the players in an environment where they're just passing the ball in maybe a four goal game, something like that. Then you'll break it down into its parts. Uh, each part may be, may be, again, taught as a whole part, part whole, part, part whole, or whole part whole. And then at the end of it, we'll bring it back into the whole environment. And I believe uh, yeah, we'll go into this in more depth in a while. Um, we can look at progressive methodologies, which is where a lot of soccer has been taught in the past. Or I'll call it soccer football. Please bear with me from my English roots. Um, the progressive methodology is chain linking. It's where we're additionally adding on uh, sections of performance onto each phase of the, the teaching. Uh, the big key there is everything is uh, associated by incremental addition of pressure. So as we move from one phase to the next, we're always adding some form of pressure. Is it environmental? Is it uh, conditional? Is it constraint? What, whatever it might be chosen for, for that purpose of teaching or learning. Uh, you've got the block system, very deliberate system. This is chosen, and I see this used a lot by uh, coaches these days. It's almost a Google system. You'll get a coach to go online, see a nice game, a piece of candy that they like, and they'll bring it back into their training session and they'll teach it. It has very little relevance to their purpose or progressions, but it looks good and it'll teach something. But the art of that block system, um, kind of Ericsson brought that out with his 10,000 hour study, et cetera, which is now being sort of brought down by Barcelona to 2,500 because environment plays such a play in it. Um, it's an independent training system. And I think it has a massive value, but I think later on we'll talk about it further depths. The ability to transfer block training to games is an art and a craft in itself. Yeah. And that's sort of where I believe we have pitfalls. Coaches will sit in and hit block training out and then expect to see it happen in the game when they haven't really thought of the the process or the journey of transfer to take it into the game. No. Um, got constraints-led approach. Uh, great book written on, uh, written on the constraints-led approach by a guy called Rob Gray on how we learn to move. Uh, constraints is about environments um, and changing the environment that we're in. What is that environment? Is that environment a numbers-up environment, numbers-down environment? Is it uh, a field-size environment? Is it uh, a condition? Obviously, the difference between constraints and conditions. Constraints is environmental, and conditions are pretty much rule-based. And we, as coaches, will put on a a condition of two touch, so that it's a, a, a non-negotiable rule-based environment through conditions. So we'll go into those, and then the one that I deal with a great deal is the behavioural methodology, and that's more about applied behaviours. Um, as we go through football, we've got the the four pillar model, haven't we? The technical, tactical, psychological, and physical. And this is going into the psych. And at the older ages in our academy, I'll teach solidly just through the psychological uh, pillar. And you and I, we can all think back and anybody listening to this, we're all complaining that our teams don't, don't communicate enough. But there again, how many times have we spent 90 minutes solidly teaching communication or the art of effective communication? And that's a big difference. We can teach communication, but is it effective? And how do we measure that effectiveness? Um, Mark Bennett talks about through like the desired outcomes. 
So, or the impact that it's having through those areas. And you know, it could be words, it could be language, it could be tone. But if we don't teach it, how can we expect them to bring it back to us? And that's sort of the methodologies we break into. No, brilliant. Some really in-depth, like I said, we'll, we'll go into a couple later on. I almost want to rewind a little bit though, Neil, and go, so take three or four of these methodologies that you've spoke about and, and go back to almost your army days and go, where do these link? And is there examples of kind of you've seen these used in that environment as well as a coaching environment? Oh, you get me a big shovel to dig deep there, right? <laughs> um, I, I can honestly think back to when I was like 16, 17, and the whole part, whole system is used in the military a great deal. Um, it's used there because it's very simple. Simple to understand, simple to organize. Uh, you can take complex levels of cognitive understanding and throw them forward. And in the military, we're very much, I see, well, the role that I took was very much tactile. So let's say stripping and cleaning a rifle. Simple answer like that. You'll take your, your instructor will take the rifle and in front of you, he'll strip the rifle from complete down to its component parts. And then what he'll do is he'll stop at that point, pick up the component parts, rebuild it back. So he's gone from the whole strip to the component parts to the rebuild, the whole part whole. And then what will happen on that part is he'll take you through the whole strip. And you'll take the through the whole strip on like a model factor, looking, viewing. Uh, the first phase of whole part whole is very much um, a learning phase, an overview phase. And so he'll go through that, then he'll break it down into the various parts that you're going to pull out, the gas plug, the piston, the springs, the, the rat's tail, etc., cetera, uh, into the parts. And it might take two or three actions to break down a part into a part. And then once it's all stripped down, he'll basically step away and say, rebuild. And once you rebuild, that's now you. It's down to, if you can make it happen, great. If you can't make it happen, then you might call upon the instructor or call upon one of your teammates to look in and make it happen. And that's sort of like a, a military example of it, going back to the training, but then everything else is in there. You could take it into the gymnastics phase. We we'll, we'll teach a lot of gymnastics in training because you gotta learn how to fall, you gotta learn how to jump, you gotta learn how to land, so that all crosses in. But you'll teach gymnastics in the same thing teaching a somersault through the whole attempt, breaking it down into its parts with ropes and mats, et cetera, and then breaking it back to its whole attempt afterwards. Um, a really, I find it's like, they often talk about mental scaffolding and you're building those pictures in your head and trying to retain those pictures. And, and if we can, then it can work very well for us. I think that the challenge is in any of these teaching methodologies in the first phase, is making it motivational and inspirational so that you're willing to drive into that second phase and not be bored by it. And I think that's a, a big part of our craft or how we plan it or how we, uh, we put it into action. No, oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. So let's, like I said, let's go into a couple of these things. So the first one I want to kind of look at is you've, you've mentioned it there, even related back to the army is the whole part, whole method. Uh, and again, it's one that's kind of, popped up out of the advanced youth award in this country over the last 10 or 12 years as a as a coaching a coaching method around like I said seeing the whole game breaking it down into something smaller building it back up um and then recognizing when how and where to build it back up um in your opinion Neil what what are the kind of con uh, the pros of this method 
and what you're really gaining out of it? Yeah, I think we've, we've gone over a couple already. I think it's learning process. It's built in the same learning process that we, our brains are built, built to learn in, which is a big, a big uh, pro of it. Sort of we have three stages of learning. You'll have your cognitive stage, you'll have your associative stage, and you have your autonomous stage. And the cognitive stage is kind of built through demonstration, built through learning. We spoke about mental pictures. And that's kind of your whole stage. Your associative stage is built through practice and learning from failure. And that's in our part stage. So when we take our parts on and we build them all together, we can, we'll, we'll fail, which is great. You know, let us fail because we can learn from that. We don't want to become failures, but we want to go through that process of getting in there. And that associative stage will, it's kind of, if we take the cognitive stage as a thinking to learn stage, then our associate stage, our part stage would be a playing to learn stage. And then the autonomous stage, which is the ability to recall technique, the ability to implement and recognize and reflect upon areas very, very quickly within our mind, that would be more of our performance to learn stage. And like you said there, we, we brought this model into some of our software coaching and they call it uh, play, practice, play over yeah. here. It's, it's the same three-legged stool that's coming across. But I think a real big pro of it, depending on the age of the player and the level of the player, it gives an understanding, an understanding of higher order learning as well. It allows our, our players to be challenged at their level, at their level of learning, at their level of excellence. We, we're not all a 10, are we? Some of us are sixes, some of us are eights, some of us are fours. But if we can be that best four we can be, we can strive to be a 5.5. We can try and get there. And it's in the, the part phase, it allows them to independently work on it or as a team work through it. Um, I think another good area of it is, if it's taught correctly, is its ability to give us schema, its ability to give us mental pictures. So in, this, in the whole phase, it shows the players where they're going. You know, if we don't know where we're going, we're never, we're never gonna get there. It's, I call it through my academy and through teaching, it's the final whistle. We start with the final whistle. And if we know where we're going, we can then ladder back down the process to get there. So we start with the whole area, but it's more of a, that whole, first whole game is discovery and teaching. And then we'll go into the teaching phase uh, so they can learn through it. And then at the end of it is that observational phase, the second whole. So I think it, the whole part, whole system prepares the player for learning throughout. Each one is, you know, we've got the progressive method, but, it's, it's progressing onto the next phase with the ability for us as coaches at the end to stand back and see if learning's taken place. It's really see interesting. Why. It's really interesting because you, you talk about how, obviously from your background as well, um, in your role of it's how we learn. It's built around how we learn as, as people and as children, whatever, whatever level it is, the whole part, whole yet. Like historically, sessions have always been very much technique skill game um where like logically people think oh that psychological build up from yeah. you go from the small part up until the big game and like how you've kind of put it there around you actually show them what's required in the whole part hole in the beginning and then to go back to that at the end just almost observe and see if there's been progression they've learned they've learned things so it's really interesting how it kind of 
almost blows the other one out of the water a little bit, in my opinion, in terms of where where it could come from. Uh, if that makes sense, because like I said, like I said, in the past has been logical build up, technique, skill, game, and a lot of coaches probably still use that method, probably seventy five, eighty percent of the time. Um, it's very hard, probably that it what coaching styles and what kind of observation skills does a coach need to to have to to make that whole part whole experience the best it can be. I, th I think it's it's the planning of it and the understanding of I think again starting with a final whistle, knowing what you want and knowing where the players are in their journey and what do the players need. And like you're saying, the, the conventional one you said there about uh, teaching technique, skill, game, that's progressive. And progressive has a huge placement in it, especially if we're teaching tactics. Um, whole part whole is a tough one to use for teaching tactics because if they don't understand it, it's very difficult to show them the whole tactic because it, generally a tactic needs to be broken down first and then built up. Versus if I show you the... If we spoke about the whole tactic of um, hitting target men and just played through hitting target men, then broke it down into its parts and build it up, that's more of the, like the, the technique leading to the tactic. So we might be able to get that. But if we were talking about complex runs and complex movements, the role of the false nine, you couldn't teach the role of the false nine. Well, you could, but it would be pretty hard to throw that through at 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, and you're going to get some coaches that are going to try and teach that to nine-year-olds, so good luck with that. But, um, you know, it's, it's where it comes in and through the whole part, whole, progressive, block, whatever. I think it's the understanding that they all have a role to play, but it's our job as a, an educator, maybe, as a coach, as a facilitator, to plan for how they'll produce the best outcome purposefully for us in the, in the environment we're trying to create yeah so again if you're a, if you're a coach um would that be something you kind of adjust daily so say for instance you've gone through a progressive practice the day before and the day after you feel like they've got the pictures to almost go through a whole part whole kind of scenario to break down or do you think you could almost periodize it over a season I think making that periodization over a season, um, it's going to be very dependent on age and objectives. Because certainly, like whole part, whole play, practice play, they're very good for the younger players when we're not going so deliberate on it or we're not going so uh, specific, the specificity of it. So, the, some people talk about the game becoming the teacher, but the game can be the teacher, but you can get good teachers and bad teachers. And if you're teaching the game wrong, you're kind of building the habits really early for bad behaviours at a later date or behaviours early for bad behaviours. Um, so I think if we broke it down, like we talk about over here on periodization of micro and macro areas of periodization, I think we're teaching to learn in the micro areas. Uh, but in the macro areas, we're more transferring to train. And that sort of comes in in line with um, the long-term athletic development, big theories and processes that have come out of, uh, come out of Canada in recent years, you know, playing for fundamentals, train to win, train to train, train to compete, play to compete, all this kind of good stuff. So I think it has, it has its place in it. Like at pass with our train it, test it, trust it philosophy, we work in six week phases. And the first week we work on train it. 
and we take our topic, whatever we might be teaching, and we'll focus on training. The next week, we'll take that exact same topic. Chances are same lesson plan because we're not going to reinvent the wheel because now we're spending time to reteach when we can confirm by learning or we can confirm if they can put it on the field straight away, they've learned something. If I've got to completely reteach something new, we've never actually, have we actually learned something? So the next week, we'll first week train it, second week, put it under a little bit more pressure and test it. And then the third week, we'll stand back, same lesson again. We'll watch it and see how it's been implemented and, and giving them the ownership and the trust and the accountability of, of them achieving their own successes. And it's a big part of what we do is, is empowerment. And, and we'll work it through. That's be one um, micro cycle. And the next micro cycle, we'll be building it into 2v2s and 3v3s in the next phase. So it has its place. I think it's down to the understanding and the level of the coach that, that's in place in it. You know, if it's, if it's part of a curriculum, curriculums are good but you've got to have flexibility in curriculums for when something doesn't go quite right, or you've got to relearn something, or you've got to confirm something. There has to be time for you to move out of that curriculum to adjust. Otherwise, you're just teaching to test. And if you're teaching to test, that now becomes very much, in my mind, autocratic, direct. Um, we've seen that in, we can talk about modern day coaches in the premiership that that are great players that come in and just work on a very outcome-based system and don't last very long. You can go back to Sunis, you can go back to, sadly, Roy Keane, I think, in my opinion. He's one of the greatest leaders and players out there, but he struggled in the coaching environment. Um, so it, it, it comes around. Yeah, so it goes back to that kind of, like you said, lifelong learning and stuff, not so much just for the result in the next, the next six months. It's more long-term, isn't it? Um, just around the whole part whole, like, and again, it's probably across the spectrum. But where would you feel comfortable in terms of, in terms of like an age range where you would start to work on that? I think environmentally, I work on it with the younger age ranges, with the the five, six, seven year olds. We call it the roots. We have a program yeah. called Past Roots, so we'll work on it on there. But we'll we're not going to necessarily teach techniques etc at that point we're just going to almost place it in the discovery environment so we'll put a whole part hole in there and we'll give them the game and then we'll break it down into its parts like the whole thing might be a 3v3 game something as simple as that and then we'll break it down into a bunch of 1v1 games with the same purpose direction objective kind of thing and then we'll build it back into the um, the 3v3 game because obviously if we're dealing with this young player this young player is is naturally selfish they naturally want to own the ball they naturally want to to do what makes somebody else happy ideally they want to please the coach please the parent whatever it might be so you want to put them in their environment of learning so I would use it at that level but I've got to be careful how I use it and it's it's very much game based and not drill based uh, drill base would be coming into more of the block side of stuff. And then as I go up through like the 10, 11, 12 year olds, it'll, it'll come into it quite well. It'll come into the technical phase of it. Um, the longest phase in that environment probably is the, the part phase. Because chances are, although we're teaching whole part whole, 
the part, so we're teaching whole, part, whole. Within the part phase, we're probably also teaching part, part, part. Yeah. Or we're teaching whole, part, whole, passing a ball. How do we pass a ball? We've got to break that, that foot delivery down into the plant foot. We've got to break it down into the, um, the surface area. We're going to hit on a striking foot with toe up, heel down, however you're going to want to play it. Um, so you're breaking the part actually down effectively into deeper whole part holes. And, and I feel it's not a difficult thing to do, but I think this is where the coach educator comes in. Is there any, anyone in environments measuring the quality of control of the coaching that we're putting on the players? Nothing that's we have a, a, an appointment over here called the director of coaching. And often they're in a club and they're the most experienced coach in the club and they've got four teams and their whole time's left coaching teams. Whereas chances are it'd be better to be measuring the, the quantitative controls and things of the actual coaches on the field coaching. Uh, but I mean, that's just getting into philosophy now a little bit. But, um, but yeah, I think older ages, is like I'm going to come out of this a little bit, but if I want to teach something new to the older age groups, um, I'm going to go into whole part whole again. As I think it's my kind of my go-to to teach something new. And then when I see the levels they've got, I'm going to then figure out what system methodology would then best teach from that point forward. Yeah, no, it's real, I think it's real prevalent is the method within rugby from the people I've spoke to and, and in both codes, rugby union and rugby league. I feel like that's a kind of go-to method in regards to where are the players, what can they do, how do we then build it back up or beyond what they did in the first hole. Um, just going back there, you mentioned like the technical director role. What kind of things, or if you're a technical director or you're employing a technical director, what kind of um, things would you want them to look out for in the coaching? Because you said there about like qualitative information or quantitative information. So, how would they be assessing their coaches based around the whole part whole session? I think, I think if if it's me, I've got to let the coach. If I'm if I'm in that role, and and let's say you, Lewis, you're on the field coaching your team, I've got to let you be who you want to be, and I've got to let you put in a, a, your character into your training session. And as long as we're following on the methodology and the, the progressions on it, you're going to teach in the way you teach. And that's going to be effective if it has the desired impact from it. So what I'm going to look at is chances are I'm going to look at the third stage of the whole part whole with you. And if I'm going to video review you, chances are I'm going to look at the third stage of it because that's the stage that's going to be expressing learning and transference of content. And so if I did well in the first stage, okay, the first stage is, is growth, cognitive thinking, pictures, all that kind of good stuff. Middle stage is your teaching stage, your teaching element. But then that third stage is where we'll put it back on the field in a game called, let's say we're teaching passing and we put like a, a four goal game out there. And um, I've now got to see if in that passing we were you know, teaching a driven ball, a lofted ball, a dinked ball, whatever it might've been is that now being implemented in this third stage? If it's not, I, as the educator, as the observer, I've got to go back and figure out where did I fail? Or I'll put a, 
constraint on them to challenge them to achieve. Maybe they get two points if they can dink the back line into the offside space and uh, one point if they can split the pass. So what are they going to go for? They're going to try and go for the more technical environment and get a greater reward. So I'm not going to necessarily reward the goal because the goal is, that's not what I'm teaching. I'm teaching the process through the parts. So I'm going to, in my final phase, my final hole, I might put that in as a, um, a measuring system. It's very um, objective through its measurement, but it's a, a measure, way of measuring the outcome of it. So I think I'm looking at more of the transference as that technical director. Yeah, no, it's a good way of looking at it because, again, I've you probably worked with people in the past who will go, well, if they're not doing it, so have you almost wasted your time on the first two, two-thirds of the session if you're not getting out the outcomes or has that, has them first two parts been geared towards? Because, again, how many times do you see sessions that potentially aren't related from one part to the next? Um, and that's a real difficult thing. Um but yeah, just just going on. So, like I said, we tackled the the whole part, whole stuff. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts on on block coaching, and then again, from your kind of perspective, how would you describe block coaching, Neil? Yeah, so I mean, I think block block coaching is what a lot of us I think perceive coaching to be. It's like independent games almost. Um, I think block coaching is easy for the coach. I think it's easy to set up. It's it's almost drill-based occasionally. If we look at it, it can be drill-based. It can be drill-based or game-based. Um, it's a repetition system a lot, I believe. Uh, it has a lot of positive behaviours in it, but it, has, it can have a lot of negative behaviours in it. Um, it's easy to plan, easy to think through. Uh, and it kind of teaches performance versus teaches the game or teaches competitiveness. So, I mean, we can take a block training practice. Uh, I'm going to get crucified for this for people listening, but it could be a rondo. Uh, yeah. In that rondo, a four cone, let's just call it a 4v1 keep away. Yeah. And, I, and I've seen some coaches play that for 35 minutes. And I'm thinking, where are we going? Now, I, I enjoy rondos and I enjoy the ability of it. It might not be what I choose, but I think it, ha it has a great placement as a, transitional element to the next element to build it out and i think it's a good and when they're used correctly you listen to, to tovo and people when they're used correctly they build them out very very quickly to get them to the game to transfer it which is cool but you'll see other coaches take it as a, a 40 minute training session and then they'll go to a game and the, the, the players are just brain dead there's nothing actually transferred apart from they perfected the rondo yeah. but they're not actually going to see it's gonna be, they haven't implemented that shape nor those kind of passes into the game, but the coach perceives that that will go into the game. So now, because the coach has a different perception to the players because they're not on an agreed outcome, the coach will now blame the player for not achieving what he wants them to achieve when he didn't really teach it in the first place. Um, it's a very independent form of learning, uh, the block games. Would your class kind of, because my, uh, my kind of consideration about block coach as well would be around specific timings. So for um, instance, you might work within four lots of three minutes and then personally from kind of a, a disadvantage, dis disadvantage, disadvantageous point is like, I feel like the timing sometimes kill the practice in regards to where you're trying to take the group. So 
yes, it can be really good in terms of managing physical load, but then sometimes you actually might want to stretch the group further than that, that physical load and you might get to a really good point within the three-minute block and then obviously the time has got to stop. And then it's almost how do you manage that between yourself and the physical performance coach and things like that where it's like almost like a methodology as it's downfalls at times. Uh, yeah, we spoke about curriculums, didn't we? And how the methodology is downfall is for you to be aware in the moment and recognise that moment. I think, I think it leads to purpose. It hugely leads to purpose and um, objectives from the training session. You know, if we haven't, I said it earlier, if we don't know where we're going, how are we going to get there? Uh, and then we, we, we dissect and debrief Jose Mourinho on, a, on an interview and he's very time-bound in his training. He'll start at a certain time, he'll finish at a certain time, he'll have blocks of training that he'll go through, et cetera, et cetera. And then we go out with our nine-year-olds and try and imprint that on our nine-year-olds. And it's a totally opposite philosophy. They're in discovery, whereas his other ones are in high-performance competing. And he's also, like, just like you said there, he's working physical load, he's working... I mean, his block practice, chances are, is more scientific-based to physical loading and um, uh, anaerobic, aerobic creatine systems, all this kind of stuff, versus we'll take it on, from what I see here in the American model, we'll take it on as a singular block activity that we'll train, and then we'll go to a game, but you don't actually see transference of it in the game because we're not measuring it correctly as we implement it or uh, measuring it correctly but we're not using the correct system of measurement to implement it so for example all week long players will train indirect passing systems and then they'll get to the game and they say okay guys we're putting three players up the top and we're banging it long and we'll go direct and you think well we haven't trained that all week long we've been training indirect but because there's a backwind on us we're now going to play direct football. Um, I mean, I think that happened to England for, for years. Uh, you you read up on them and their games would be very, very different to their training. And then fortunately in the last eight years or so, we've, we've solved those problems, I believe, and changed, those, changed that environment. So, yeah, I think it has a play with time and I think it has a play with content as well. No, because um, just just off that, and again from from your background, Neil, um, going into kind of conclusion, kind of part, it'd be interesting. Is there anything where you feel like you're almost discovering a new method, or there's there's an avenue to go down a different route within coaching, and a methodology that you think would maybe bring out something else in players or in a team? I think it's evolving. Uh, I think as we the game is evolving as we find newer coaches coming in with different ideas. Uh, I, I say that and then I figure out it's like, it's still 11 v 11 keep away with a ball, isn't it? Yeah. So how do we evolve that? And going back to the early nineties, late eighties, you'd go through, I can't quite remember what the method is. Uh, maybe you can throw it back at me the right name of it, but, we would, we would teach the FA badges and stuff. I mean, the FA badges and UEFA has totally evolved. There's no longer standing up straight with a, a pencil in your sock and all this kind of good stuff, which is a positive. That's a huge positive. I think the, 
the methodology of observing, of learning emotional emotions and the emotional quotient, the EQ system of learning is, is supporting us massively, uh, understanding how people understand. Um, but I think a method I've seen come back in is, let's uh, say so we're doing a defense versus attack system, and I'm teaching the attackers, but I'm training the defenders to counter the attackers. So I might be in a, a half field environment, a functional environment where I've got a, a 7v6 system, six defenders, seven attackers coming in and the attackers have got freedom of play, freedom of role, freedom of lead and they're trying to beat the defense. But I'm coaching the defense in how to counter the attack. So each time the attackers are coming through, I'm teaching the defenders how to, to counter that form of attack. So now the attackers will go back and in the way we, we teach this through huddling and through various empowerment areas, but the, the attackers have got to go back in, huddle, problem solve, confirm what they're seeing. How are they going to change that in the flow? How are they going to lead that in the flow? And so now by me working with the attack, the defenders, I'm in fact creating, oh, am I creating? I don't know, but I'm trying to teach creative players to create in flow. And we become, when we're in the state of flow, if we can get there, we, we become very, very creative. And our brain shuts down just to areas that, that work on creativity and flow. And that's kind of what you see a lot when suddenly you see De Bruyne transitioning the game or something like that. He's, it's happening before we can even see it happening. And then we've got to take three or four slow motion replays to figure out exactly what happened. But he's doing it in the motions of. Can we support and teach that to our youth players? Uh, and it's tough because you're no longer in control. And I think that's the hardest part of a coach is releasing that control and letting the players learn and grow for themselves. And it's almost how do you how do you tap into that, like I said, that feeling of unconsciousness almost that De Bruyne is it and then what did it feel like and how did that outcome come about when you were driving forward with the ball? It's, it's really interesting. There's a book called The Rise of Superman that deals solely with flow. Uh, and it's pretty phenomenal. It talks a lot about uh, how the X Games have grown. Like you think about, I know we're going off track here in a couple of rabbit holes later, but he talks about how, let's say, gymnastics. We've, it's taken us six years to create, well, 60 years to go from a double somersault on the floor to a quadruple somersault on a floor routine for a male. Whereas it's only taken us, uh, let's take Evil Knievel jumping 30 buses. Now you're gonna get a guy in the X Games jumping a X number of buses whilst spinning his motorbike, whilst doing somersaults, whilst losing control of his bike and taking his hands and feet off of it. And so they've, they've said in it, like the X Games and these people have produced the studies of flow in far greater depths. But we, when, you, when, when you know what you're looking for, you can recognize it in other areas as well. And it, it's quite challenging. It's not something we maybe want to throw into our nine-year-olds again, but it's something if we can get our teaching in a flow state, and they say a big measurement of that is if you know your players are in flow or the session was in flow, if players are asking coach, what time does it end? When does it end? They're, they're as far away from flow as they can be and they're bored senselessly. However, when you blow the whistle or you shout, stop, whatever it might be, and all right, guys, we're done. And they're like, that's it? 
we're done. We can't, we've only just got here. That sense and abandonment of time is a measurement of flow. And that can be a, a must've been a good session today. Let's see if we can find out what we learned. That's brilliant. I think we'll end on that, Neil. Okay, Thank, cool. Thanks, mate. Thanks a lot, Puff.